Hello there, and welcome to the REI Friends Podcast. My name is Catherine Storing, and I am your host. I just finished having the most amazing, powerful conversation with Danielle. I won't even try to say her last name. You will see it in the show notes, okay? It is beautiful, but I can't say it. Anyway, look at all the notes that I took. Oh my God, she's got all the secrets, all the tools. Oh my God. So if you are brand new and you're thinking of investing out of state, if you're looking to do short-term rentals, listen, she broke it down step by step. It was unbelievable. So inspiring. Connect with her because at the end, she shared what she's looking for. And who knows, you might be able to work with her if you are investing in the state that she is investing. So without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. Hello there. Hi, Danielle. How are you? Hi, Kat. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. Of course. My pleasure. For those that don't know you, can you tell them a little bit about who you are? Yes. Um, so I'm Danielle Rotigliano. Um, I am a full-time CPA and I own um, two short-term rentals. I manage a portfolio of properties on Long Island that were in our family. And I have um, 14 other doors that are in Indiana. Um, and I pretty much solely now at this point invest out of state um, remotely. And I've never even been to Indiana before. So. Oh my God, that is amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. And I will not even try to say your last name. So we'll make sure that people can look you up. It is beautiful, but I don't think I can say it. It's tough. (laughs) (laughs) But I love it. All right, well, let's go right into it because I love what you do. So how did you start? Because you said there's some purpose that were in the family. Is that how you started first with real estate investing? Yeah, so actually, no, it's actually kind of what I did last. Um, so how I kind of got into real estate was I rented um, apartments for like four years. And I realized that, you know, I was always like kind of numbers obsessed. And I had like an always like an entrepreneurial spirit. So every time I was renting a property, I was always super interested in like what the person paid for the property and then mm-hmm. kind of what they were making from me as a renter. And then at one point when I was 25, I realized that I should really try to get into buying my own property and seeing if I could rent out some of the rooms like as a house house hack situation. Um, So that's really how I got into it. And what I ultimately did is I bought that first house, which was a duplex um, when I was 25 and I rented out the apartment upstairs and I had my best friend living with me downstairs in the other apartment. And I pretty much had all of my tenants paying for the cost of the house every month. And that's really when it really opened up my eyes to see the power of real estate. And that's kind of when I got like the bug to get started. That is amazing. So was your best friend paying your rent too? Uh, Yeah, she was paying me a little bit of rent, um, but it worked out for the both of us because we were previously renting a house and we were splitting that cost. So she was able to spend a lot less money living with me. And I was able to spend a lot less money also owning the house. So that is so good. So that's like the ultimate house hack where you're renting one part, one section of, of the duplex, and then somebody living with you is also pay, helping you pay. So that is awesome. So you're 25 years old. You're like, wait a minute. I'm almost basically living for free. What was your next step after that? Did you think that you could do this like uh, something that could generate so much money? Um, so I wasn't really, I was just really excited and I was still working as an accountant at the time. Um, so I was still very busy at work. So I never really thought at that point to make it my full-time job being a real estate investor. But ultimately what I did is I 
um, I was just continuously looking for properties and it, it kind of worked out because I had met my husband, my boyfriend at the time and now husband, um, and he had purchased his own house. So ultimately what happened was I moved out of that house, met, went and moved into the house that he purchased. At the same time, it worked out because my roommate also moved in with her boyfriend and the tenants that I had upstairs also moved out. So at that point, we kept it as a rental. Um, so it was like our first true rental property without us living in it. Um, so we were able to do that for a year. And then after a year, the market really had appreciated. And we realized, you know, do we keep it as a rental that makes like $800 a month? Or do we take the equity out of that property and put it into more properties to, you know, double or triple that monthly return? And that's kind of what we were thinking about. And that's ultimately what we did um, to kind of jump into that next step. That is so good. So I love how you were thinking because it's your first one, right? It's like your first baby. Like, do I get yeah, rid of it? Baby. And it was, I know. And it was cash flowing $800. Yeah, which is great. It was, you know, it was great cash flowing property, but we had a lot of equity into it. And we did a lot of like stuff DIY. Um, we like redid a kitchen. We redid, you know, we painted all the rooms and it looked like a million bucks for only like $15,000 worth of work. Mm-hmm. So we were able to actually sell it for $100,000 worth of a profit um, at that time. So it was definitely worth it for us. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, and I love how your roommate also moved out and then the tenants moved out. So it's almost like the perfect synergy. Everybody's yeah. moving out, the perfect storm, and then the market appreciates. And I love that you have the mindset of let's upgrade, let's buy two more properties. So how do you guys go from now you live with your husband, he owns his own property, you guys live together. How do you go from that first duplex to the next property? So that was the crazy part. So I feel like most people would just take that money and put it into other regular, you know, rentals or or, or duplexes. But my husband actually had the idea. He was like, well, what if we try short-term rentals? And mm. I was like, well, that's a totally different game. <laughs> you know, it's not like your traditional rental where you just have a tenant that you deal with and you collect a rent check. Um, and I was like, and then we started running some of the numbers in a couple of different areas that we were researching. And we realized like, wow, this could really be like a game-changing thing. You know, it could be more than just $800. We could four times that in a short-term rental if it actually works out the way that the numbers, you know, appear to have been looking, looking like. Um, so what we did is that's after doing a lot of research, we took that money. We actually had another, we had two other partners that were interested in doing it with us. And we purchased two, pro- two short-term rentals over the course of a year um, in the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee. Wow. Okay. So the first duplex you bought where you lived, right? Correct. Yep, and then you think of short-term rental. I love that you mentioned partners. And then how did you have, like, that's kind of scary to say, not only are you going to buy out of state, but you're going to do out of state short-term rentals, which is so labor intensive and you have to have people, helpers. Like, how did you, like, were you scared or like, you just said, I'm yeah. just going to do it? It was very scary, to be honest. <laughs> um, so what we ultimately did is we went down there. We kind of, you know, tried to put ourselves in like the tourist shoes. Um, we looked at a couple of properties, not formally, but just really tried to like immerse ourselves in just the general area to kind of get comfortable with the area. And then um, just through a lot of other research and and we hooked up with a good um, real estate agent that specializes in short-term rentals in this area. So she kind of led us into the direction of where of the first cabin that we purchased. So it was definitely a scary experience. 
Um, we had to get under contract without seeing the actual property. We had to kind of just go off of a video that she took and, you know, just kind of rely on some like the team that we were kind of building in the area to give us some input. Um, and then we ultimately got it under contract. And we, you know, in our inspection period, we were able to go down there and actually physically go look at it. Um, so it eased a little bit of that of that nerve wracking part, but it was definitely a scary experience to say the least. I can imagine. So when you you mentioned both times when you're buying the first property and then um, when you were gonna buy the two short term rentals, you were doing a lot of research. So what is that like? Give me an idea what you were doing. Were you looking at videos? Were you working with a coach? Were you looking online? What does that research look like for you? So we really like to look at you know a couple of different things when we're looking for short term rental markets. We liked areas that, that didn't have a lot of seasonality. Um, so Tennessee, like we liked some other areas, but there was really too much seasonality, meaning like it was quiet in the winter or had like a big peak. We wanted really an area that was pretty stable and steady all year round. Um, so definitely check the box for us there in the Smoky Mountains. Um, the next thing we really looked at is, as you know, there's a lot of regulations around short term rentals. So we love the Smoky Mountains because that general area is very reliant on tourism. Um, so we knew that we were pretty safe as far as regulations, like they wouldn't really be inclined to make strict regulations when the whole, the whole county is pretty much relying on the tourism, like yeah, their economy. So good. How did economy. you know to look for those two things? Because I don't know that I will think of seasonality and the regulations, how you heard stories from other people, like how do you know to look for those two things? Yeah, through you know, reading articles and looking at bigger pockets and listening to some podcasts, we heard a lot of horror stories about the regulations. Um, so that was definitely something that was on the top of my list as far as, you know, just things to be careful of. And just because Airbnbs are kind of just like an, a newer age type of rental that, you know, some of the rules and regulations in the counties and the state are starting to kind of catch up to what everyone's doing with them. So that was a big part. Yeah. Plus also um, we were really looking for an area that had really good numbers. So it had really great cash flow for the for the price point at that time. No, that's so good. Do you think that your background as an accountant really helped you look at the numbers in a different way from like a regular lay person, I would say? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think it really has helped us a lot. I don't I think we may not have even realized how much it's helped us. Um, but you know, especially in the air with the Airbnbs and the short-term rentals, there's a lot of you know, laws and regulations, but also like tax laws and regulations too. You know, there's different taxes associated with short-term rentals and stuff. So that was something that was not easy to navigate through, but because we had that background, it definitely helped us. Absolutely. We're definitely more I love, comfortable. I love, yeah, I bet. And I, I just love how you can still rely on what you were doing before and use it for your advantage when it comes to your, your real estate business. So you bought the first, the first um, cabin, how how soon after did you buy the second one? We were we were doing it pretty slow at that time, so it was only just um, we waited a year. So we bought the first one in 2019, and the second cabin we had purchased it almost exactly a year later. The market was also very competitive, so it was very we were making a lot of offers that were not working out at that time. Right. And it's funny, I can tell that you're an investor because you're like, you said like, we're going slow. Yeah. 
<laughs> compared to what we well, do now, it was like very yeah. slow. I always look yeah. back and I'm like, oh, I should have bought four cabins that year. <laughs> right. But hindsight's 2020, right? Like it's so easy for you to say it now, but then yeah. you, you probably were thinking, oh my God, I'm doing it again, yeah. just a year. You know, people that are listening right now, I'd be like, I would love to do a property a year. And that would be amazing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And we were, we were being ultra conservative in the beginning yeah. too. So um, you know, we wanted to just make sure all of our ducks were in a row before we were doing something, especially because it was out of state. You know, we're, we're very reliant on technology to manage the properties. We do self-manage the two cabins. Um, so we don't use a property management company. We only have a cleaning team. Um, so there, there definitely was a learning curve to get that all up and running for the short-term rentals. Yeah, I think it's smart. I think um, it can be easy to look at the way people are doing things and feel like I have to do it at their pace or because they're doing all of this, I have to do that. I love that you said that there was there was a learning curve and also you're out of state, right? So there's a yeah. lot of things happening. So I'm glad that you guys listened to that voice that said, oh, we don't know as much or we're just getting started. Let's, let's feel comfortable. What's the point of doing something that you're excited about it, but then the way you do it doesn't work with your life. Then you're stuck doing it and they're afraid the whole time. Yeah, exactly. So we wanted to definitely be comfortable. We wanted to make sure that, you know, everything was, you know, in order, it, it definitely, you know, short-term rentals do have more wear and tear. There are parties that come up, you know, that you have to kind of manage and mitigate. And, and it did take a little bit of a while to kind of get a process in place to do that. And to manage. All yeah. So you bought the second one in 2020. Did the pandemic affect the purchase in any way? Um, no, it didn't actually. Um, that area during the pandemic, if it just got even crazier, you know, it was, mm. it was quiet in the March timeframe, but we, we closed on the property in like September end of September, oh early October. Yeah. Um, so by then it was just so crazy. I think a lot of people were flocking to this area during COVID because mm -hmm. of people felt safe to travel to this area during COVID. Cause you're not in a hotel, you're not on a beach, like you're in a cabin in the woods. So it felt oh, a little yeah. bit more like isolated, but you're still on vacation which was nice. And I think that's, that really drove our rent up for sure. Um, but I think it also, it, it really spiked the demand in this market a lot. That is so good. I love the timing of it all, because had you done it in March, you probably would have been discouraged or definitely had some more vacancies. So the fact that it closed September, October, and uh, things were opening up again, at least for vacation and stuff that, that worked out for you guys. That's awesome. So you have the two cabins, you sold the first duplex, what did at that point are you thinking we are real estate investors or are you thinking this is just a hobby still um so we weren't sure we didn't have like a a, a very defined um vision of where we wanted it to go we kind of thought at that point like oh maybe we could just have a bunch of short-term rentals um but after having the two short-term rentals as great and amazing as they are um it, it was it's also important to diversify your portfolio mm -hmm. so and we did realize that because it was very time consuming to manage them. Um, now it's more of like a plug and play and a lot of it's automated for us. But in the beginning, it was very, it was very, we were very involved in it. Um, and also it's a short-term rental, rental in nature. It's just a little bit more volatile than a long-term rental. Um, so at that point, instead of, we were trying to actually make an offer on a third one, but it didn't work out because the, the market was just too crazy. And it just, our, our offers were just not getting accepted at that point. 
And we had really kind of sat back and said, well, what's the next move? Do we want mm-hmm. to have a bunch of short-term rentals or do we want to dirt diversify and have long-term rentals that we could pass along to a property manager and have a nice mix of you know, higher income, but we're a little bit more involved in short-term rentals or you know, a little bit of lower income, but we're totally not involved once that property is with a property manager. manager. So that's ultimately what we did. Um, and we really, really liked Tennessee for rentals because of how landlord friendly it is, how low the taxes are, um, how easy it is to just get tenants out when we need it, um, how lenient they are as far as like what you do with your property. Um, so we started to look at long-term rentals in Tennessee and I just couldn't find anything that really worked as far as the numbers for us. Um, so the next state I ended up moving to to, to research was Indiana because very similar to Tennessee, it has very landlord-friendly rules, low taxes. Um, and I kind of land, we landed on this Northern area of Indiana because it was very close to Chicago. Um, but it was on the Indiana side because um, Chicago is in Illinois and Indiana is a little bit more advantageous as far as like, cause it has the low taxes, it's way more affordable to live. Um, so especially during the pandemic, we saw a lot of people spilling out of Chicago and into this area. So we saw a lot of potential in this specific area um, in, in Indiana, which is considered Northwest Indiana. That is so good. I love how your mind is thinking, right? You're like, I love Tennessee, but the numbers are not working. And you could have said, listen, we're young. We already have two properties. We don't have to do it now. But I love that you're like, okay, if that works in Tennessee, where else can I find a state that has low taxes, that is landlord friendly, and that it's close to a, to, to a metro city. And I love that you are looking at the trend. So I love that your mind is working the numbers and looking at the whole data. So I hope people that are listening and trying to figure out where they should invest, if they're looking to invest out of state, that they listen to the steps that you took. I was taking notes myself because I think it's such a great idea to look at where are the numbers going to work for me and where can I where can I encounter the least amount of resistance when I'm to enter? I'm so good. Yeah, I think it's really important, especially for new investors as they're going along. And once they have, once you have like one or two doors, it's very important to like take a look at what you have and say, you know, is, can we do this better? You know, can we do this better somewhere else? Should we, should we diversify? Like it is, you know, to some extent good to be consistent and stick to one strategy, but you should always in the back of your head kind of be looking at the bigger picture too. Um, so I think it's very important to always say like, okay, it's even, even cause you can get very comfortable in one area and it can be very easy once you do it, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's important to always be like, okay, but can we do it better somewhere else? Or can we do, can we do bigger multifamily? Can we do, you know, something, you know, just a little bit different and, and just, but it will yield a better return on your investment. So. Amazing. So you start, you find Indiana, you're like, okay, these numbers are great. Um, really far from where you are, because you are still in Upton, New York, right? I am still, yep, I'm still in New York. So um, what we, yeah, what we ultimately ended up doing is, in, you know, we, we got the confidence on the short-term rentals and we're like, okay, let's, we did this remotely, right? We have two properties that we manage remotely. Let's take that process and implement the exact same process into another market. So that's ultimately what we did with long-term rentals. That is so good. So did you know realtors in the area or how did you start looking for properties? 
with the realtor by yourself walk me through that that process for the first uh property okay so that was definitely the biggest learning curve in indiana was building your building out your team um because you really needed to be to have somebody that was you know your eyes and ears on the ground there um whereas in tennessee you they already you know it's a short-term rental market so you have all the vendors that you need there um, like they're ready for, they work with a lot of out-of-state investors. So they're very much used to that. Indiana is, is not as used to that. Um, so what we ultimately did is we had to interview property managers. We had to interview contractors. Um, we interviewed some agents. We just tried to talk to a lot of people. We tried to pick their brains about the area, what areas to stay away from, what areas they like. Um, we tried to start to build out our team. So ultimately how we started was we started with a property manager and in Indiana, most of the property managers do need to be licensed real estate agents. Mm, um, so okay. he did want to represent us on the first deal as our agent, um, which ultimately ended up being a big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was part of the learning curve. Yeah. Um, so he did, we found our first property we found on the market with him um, the property manager, it needed a lot of work. Um, and we, through, you know, a few mistakes, we used a contractor and, and the, that property manager ultimately didn't want to work with us anymore because he got very overwhelmed by the construction project that, it, that mm. the house needed. Um, so from there, you know, we had other property managers, you know, already kind of lined up because we always, always have backup, especially when you're working remotely, you know? So you, you always wanna have like plan B, C and D when <laughs> it comes to remote real estate investing. And what we ultimately did, which helped us a lot was we hired um, a 1099 employee that we call our acquisition manager, which is pretty much like our eyes on the ground there. So he is our internal hire um, that, can check on our property managers, can check on rehab projects that are going on, can just be our eyes. You know, he can just do a drive-by of the house and make sure it's still standing. You know, he is our eyes on the ground. So he is our saving grace when it comes to um, like checking in on our own vendors because, you know, not everyone does the right job all the time. So it, it definitely is helpful to have that extra set of eyes too. That is so good. And I love that you're sharing the good and the bad and the not so great, because unfortunately, I was telling someone today that for people that like me, that are looking on the outside, when they're like, oh, my God, it's butterflies and rainbows and every offer is accepted and every house is a home run and every every tenant is like delightful. Right. That's like not real life. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so far from that. Um, so yeah, there is a lot of, there's a big learning, especially when you're remote investing, right? You can't be there. It's hard enough to find vendors as it is. It's, it's extra hard to find them when you're dealing pretty much virtually, right? We're, we're, we're remote real estate investing. So we're, we can only get on the phone with people and manage the process. So it, it, yeah, it definitely helps to have plan B and checks and balances in place to get that started. And although there's a bigger learning curve, you know, when you're doing like remote real estate investing, um, but it is, it is also very rewarding. So once you get past that learning curve and you learn, you know, you learn a lot along the way, it's definitely a very rewarding experience. Cause I mean, for us in New York, I mean, I can get a property in Indiana that cash flows $400 a month and I paid, you know, $75,000 for the entire property. Meanwhile, in New York, and you know, because you're, you know, you're, you're not too far from us. Yeah. Um, it would cost me $450,000 in a house to buy that would cash flow $400. So it is 
for us, it's extremely rewarding. Um, and it, it makes it much more scalable for us. Yeah, that's so good. At what point did you hire that 1099 employee? Was that with the first property or did you do that when you have more properties? So when we started the process, we started to, I, we were starting to interview people. Um, so we already had the property manager looking. I think we had the first property under contract while we were interviewing for that person. Um, we knew ultimately that we wanted to obtain properties off market um, and not on the market. So we, we were putting him in place to start to be that person that could go look at properties for us, take pictures, videos, and stuff like that. It happened to work out just, you know, very well that when that, when that first property, you know, didn't work out so well as far as the, the issue with the contractor and the property manager that he was able to kind of step in and be like, okay, no, this is not being done right. Or like, no, this is, there's definitely a problem here. Like the work is not, or no one's at the property. So. That is so good. I always tell people um, that you want to hire help before you need them. Yeah, exactly. Right before you need them. A lot of people want to be like, they want to save that little extra few hundred dollars. And I'm like, you don't want to do that. Try to get people that you can get them trained, pay them, make that investment because when you need them, it's too late. You're not going to have time to train them. You're going to be overwhelmed. It's going to take them a long time to get on board. But if you train them before you need them, like I have my assistant, it took a while because, you know, we had to learn our, how we work together. There were so many, so many things that I had going that it took us a year to get yeah. to a place where we were working really well. Had I tried to onboard her now, it would never work. I have yeah. way too many things going on. So I always, I love that you did that because it just reinforcing the way that I, I talk to people is hire people before you need them. It's going to pay off so much. Yeah, I think that's one of the best things for new people. I think that's the best piece of advice. I think hire before you're ready is like a really good, a really good thing to do. Um, you know, don't over hire, but you know, get get you know, jump into that first person or for first two people before you're really ready because it really does pay long term to have that really already in line. Yeah, it so does. I was on Grace and Emilia's uh, podcast this week, so what I'll do is I'll put that episode on the show notes because anybody looking to hire a VA there were so many things that we went over on that episode that I think would be very helpful I know it can be very overwhelming but um following these steps I'm telling you I've been hiring people since 2015 and the mistakes that I made yeah. and that's why I do I do the things I do now because of the mistakes that I made so hopefully that will help people and I'm glad that you had that person there because you guys are far away something happens um, and you had jobs, imagine having to like drop everything and get to Indiana, which is not like the closest state ever. So yeah. that was such a good idea. You guys did that. Yeah, it was, it was, it was very good. Um, and yeah, it's, it's definitely something I would highly recommend, you know, either it's a VA or even if it's somebody that you just hire on a project by project basis. Yeah. Um, so like for him, we don't even, you know, he's not even required to work 10 hours a week or anything like that. It's just as needed. We send him the tax. So yeah. So we send good. him a text and if he wants to accept the project then that's then he accepts the project otherwise we find somebody else to do it um so even if you're not you know if you can't afford a full-time or a part-time person like there's still other options out there for help and your time is better spent doing other things um you know like building your business or analyzing properties instead of you know chasing around vendors or taking pictures of properties even if you're not remote investing so you always that's definitely so have good. options out there yeah, I love that. I love, and there's so many people that work like um, firemen, 
uh, nurses, many people that work, you know, 24 hours on, 24 hours off. This could be a yeah. great gig for people like that that are looking for a part-time job that is flexible. Maybe they want to get into real estate. The, I mean, the options are, are endless. I love that. So that property did not work out so well because of the realtor um, that happened to be the property manager. So why did you say that it was not a good idea to to also hire him to find the deal? So I think there's always just a little bit of a conflict of interest when it comes mm. to, unless you already know the property manager and you've been working with them for a while and you trust them. When you're in a new area in a new market, it's a little bit of a conflict of interest for someone to be finding a property who's also going to be getting it to manage, yeah. you know, yeah. and it is sometimes tough in markets because they, your property managers are real estate agents. So sometimes they get a little bit like upset if you're using an agent and then you give them the property. Um, mm-hmm. So there it's, it's a little bit of a dynamic you have to navigate around. Um, but I would definitely recommend for people just starting out in a new area to get an independent real estate agent and then find a property manager. Um, so good. Yeah. And that way you can, I mean, I love that because that way you can say, I already signed with a realtor. So what can they say? They might not like it, but I'm already signed. So what can I do? Right? I'm, I'm right. legally bound to do this. <laughs> right. Right. And you're just, yeah, you're just a little bit more. It's nice to just keep things separate, right? You know, the the agents working to find the best property for you and then your property manager will be, you know, managing the property afterwards. Yeah, I love that. I think that's so good. That is so good. So you got that property. Finally, you got it done. You probably got another contractor to do the right work. How how soon after did you get the the next property? Um, So I think we closed on our first off-market property before that one even closed, that first property. Um, so what we ultimately did after the, um, you know, after we got the first property under contract on the market, we started to run this off-market campaign. Um, we had piloted it in a couple other areas that we were looking at. So we kind of already had a process in place. So ultimately what we do is we have an off-market cold calling campaign. So we do have, we have two BAs that do cold calling. Um, we run lists through PropStream. Um, we filter those lists based on different categories that would yield more motivated sellers, um, meaning people who are absentee owners, like, you know, if they're landlords, tired landlords, we like to target. Um, if they're people who owned their property for a very long time, they have a lot of equity in it. There's a lot of different ways you can filter the lists. Um, so we, we ultimately, we get, um, all the homeowners phone numbers and we have our VA do cold calling. Um, and yeah, so it's really great because you guys finish up and then I don't want to miss this. No. Yeah. So, yeah, so it was really great. Um, because we have the VAs and they're really, you know, most of them are trained with that. We have a batch dialer software that they use. Um, so they are able to call like, you know, 700 people or so a day. And, and most of the time they get a lot of positive feedback and people that do actually want to sell their house in our area. A lot of people don't necessarily like to work with agents. So it's almost mm. like a win-win in, in both situations. Yeah. And well, you said that because what I, what I was thinking is you could have decided that you're going to learn how to be a dialer and get the scripts and call the people yourself, but you already are strapped for time. Um, and you decided to leverage VAs people that already knew how to do it, how to use the software, how to use everything. And I'm sure that's why you were able to close so fast because you had these people working for you yeah. and was able to find you uh, the next property that much faster, faster than you could have done yourself. 
Yeah, exactly. And what, and also because we still had our, I still had my W-2, my full-time W-2 job at that, at that point. So um, it really helped us because they were pretty much like, they could also act as our admin assistant if we needed them. Um, and they did all the cold calling. And then between them and the acquisition manager, actually surveying the properties and everything else, it was the only way we could have done it while we had our W-2 jobs. That is so good. That is it's such a great idea because I remember I tried to do cold calling back in February, I think. And I'm glad I did it because it gave me an idea of what to say, what not to say, how difficult it yeah. can be. And definitely let me know I don't want to do this, especially after working a whole eight hours. It no. was too long of a day. I was fried already. So great experience to do it. Almost like when I tell people that um, years ago, I tried skiing just to make sure that I hated it, you know, and I did. <laughs> So this phone call here was like, I think I might not like this. I'm like, uh, yeah, I was right. I don't really like this. But there are yeah. people that are really great at and that's And you're creating jobs for people. So I think um, it's finding the right, the right mix of, I like this, so I'll do it. And then whatever I don't like, I'll hire out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it was, yeah, it was really great in that way. So where do you get the idea of running that off-market campaign? So we were already doing it in New York a little bit. Okay. Because um, we were, you know, while we were looking at other markets, we were piloting like it in a couple of different markets. And like, like you were mm -hmm. doing, I did, I did initially start to try to do it on my own, which was also yeah. like, you realize very quickly that it takes, yeah. you know, you have to talk to a hundred people to get like, you know, three yeah. people that are really hot, considered hot leads, um, which is just not, not efficient. And you get a lot of, you know, not so nice people. And I don't yeah. really like all that rejection. So <laughs> or the people that ask you like a hundred questions, why are you calling? What are you doing? Who are you? Yeah. Why is your area code differently? Like, oh, it was not fun. I did not yeah. like it. No, it's not fun. You, like you said, you realize very quickly, it's not something you want to do. Um, so yeah, so we, um, ultimately just, we realized very quickly also that for the positive responses that we were getting mm -hmm. is that we could get properties that were also at a significant discount because the sellers were motivated. They wanted yeah. or, or needed to sell the properties fast, or there was some sort of issue. Um, and most of the cases of the properties that we get, it's, it's usually because the, um, the sellers are self-managing the properties and they're just tired mm. landlords yeah they yeah. don't want to be the landlords you know they've been doing it for 30 years and they're just done and a lot of them are just like too friendly with their tenants and don't want to put listed on the market and torment them yeah. with yeah. you know showing the property and stuff like that so in almost every case it's been a tired landlord that has sold us a property and yeah. through this process that we have we're able to get the properties at like a 20 20 to 30% discount. That is so good. And I love the fact that not only you're getting a deal, but you're helping someone. So yeah. it's a win-win for everybody. I'm reading yeah. right now, finally I'm able to get through Think and Grow Rich. And one of the things that I talked about in chapter three is um, making a promise to yourself. I vow to only do transactions where all parties involved benefit. And I okay. think that is such a great way to do business because you're going to get really good referrals. People will be happy to do business with you. And then you can feel good about yourself because you're doing something that, yeah, of course, it's a business. Of course, you want to make money, but I don't want to feel dirty at the end of a transaction. Yeah. I want to feel like I really helped someone. 
Yeah, exactly. So we're, yeah, we're definitely in most cases getting, getting the, the landlord out of a situation that they don't, no longer want to be a part of, or some of them just run into financial trouble and they just need, they need to get rid of the property fast. They can't deal with showing the property and have it listed for two to three months and stuff like that. So yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And then I love how you said that they really like their tenants and they don't want to, they don't want them to know they're selling. Uh, yeah. Does their risk of the person moving out, or also they don't want to have people showings all the every Sunday. And the showings are really early too on Sundays, which I don't know why they do it so early. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> it's not it's not fun. I don't know who figured that out. So yeah, no, it's it's definitely tough for them. So so were you always this organized? Because it sounds like you're busy, you're married, you have a life, right? And you're building this business, and you have all these systems. Like, do you think? because you're an accountant or you're an accountant because you're organized like how do you how does your mind work that you're like I'm gonna take these shortcuts because I want to do this but I don't want to work too hard does that make sense yeah I mean I think because I think we were forced to put stuff in place because Mm, we have we are so limited in the time um I'm also not a naturally organized person so I'm always I kind of have to put systems in place to keep myself organized um so I kind of always have done that um but I think for the most part, it's really just that we were, we were forced. Like I knew I only had X amount of hours a day to able to, to get this, you know, to a point. And my goal was to quit my W2 job. So, um, I was forced to, to try to keep as organized as possible to kind of get everything done, um, and keep the process moving forward. Like the business had to keep moving forward regardless of, you know, you know, if I was at, if I was at work for the day and I was lost at work, you know, being tied up with all my responsibilities at work, Mm -hmm. it had to still move on, you know, without me. So it it definitely helps. We were forced to do that for sure. I love that. You have no choice. And I love, there's something about having no choice. Like this has to work or it has to work. When you give yourself those choices, it has to work out because there's no other choice. Yeah. And I just, you know, I just am like, I need to, I would love for me and my husband to be financially independent. So that's like my ultimate goal. So having that in my mind, like we always can like think about our, every, what we're doing every day and how what we're doing every day can get us to that next level and to that next goal. Such a great mindset. I hope people are taking notes. Um, definitely, this is an episode that you gotta, people will have to watch once or twice because the mindset, the things that you're saying, someone that's so young is determined towards a goal. Like this is, these are my goals. And then you could have fooled me. I thought you were very organized. You come off as very organized, <laughs> just so you know. So I'm like, this girl, oh my God, she's got like, I bet she's got like color, color, color coded notebooks and, <laughs> and charts and all <laughs> No, definitely not just an average unorganized person that just puts processes in place so that we, I can stay organized. <laughs> I love that. But I love that. Some, and some people will be forced and still won't do it. So I just want to give you your props yeah. because you were forced, but you did it. And I love yeah. the fact that um, you have done that and be able to, to grow so fast. So how many properties do you have again in Indiana? Um, so right now we have a single family property. We have three duplexes. We have a triplex, we have a fourplex, and we have a seven unit building under contract and another single family under contract. Amazing. That's a lot. That's a lot of units. That's 15. Uh, currently okay. under contract to be sold. Oh, okay. Nice. Amazing. Yeah. And then when do you start buying in Indiana? 
Um, we started buying in Indiana a little bit, like about a year ago. So it's been a really, we've really propelled it forward in Indiana. Yeah. Um, yeah. so I love how from... you started slow. You know, you were saying, oh, I only did one a year, right? And now it's like, <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Now it's like, okay, we're, we're nearing 25. We're, we're pretty much at 25 doors now. Um, and we have eight, eight more under contract. So that is so, so good. So did you ever think at the beginning that you will have that many doors so quickly? No, not at all. Um, it, you know, everyone does say after you get through like two or three properties, it just kind of like accelerates from there, but it really is true. Um, once you get your process in place, you do start to gain traction and it really does help, you know, once you have that process in place. So it feels, you know, painful and slow for the first couple, but like, don't let that burn you out because it'll, you know, once you have your process in place and your team and it's finally all clicking and all the dots are connecting, it really does start to propel from there. That is amazing. So do you think that you guys are going to continue to buy in Indiana or are you looking at other states now? Um, so we're continuing to buy in Indiana. So actually what we've been doing pretty much is since that first duplex that I had on Long Island, we've been pretty mm -hmm. much recycling that money around since. Nice. So we use that money to invest in the cabins in Tennessee. Um, after the cabins appreciated two years later, we refinanced them. We pulled the money back out. So we currently have no money invested, left invested in the cabins. So everything that we make on the cabins is just pure cash flow. Um, <laughs> yep. Yep. We've completely returned our entire investment and we've taken that same money and we've taken it around different properties in Indiana. Every single property that we buy in Indiana is a value added opportunity. Um, most of them need, you know, aesthetic work, roofs, some updating and like heating and heating systems and, you know, a little bit of electrical work here and there. Um, so in most cases, we're, we're using the burst strategy to, you know, purchase the property, put the work in, and then refinance the property. That is so good. But you wouldn't have been able to do that if you hadn't sold the duplex to put the 100%. to buy. And that's the, the power of real estate because it's really, you know, it's the same. It's ultimately the same money that's been going around. You okay. know? So yeah. But it's growing so fast. Like I love like. You started kind of slow, which is still not so slow, but you started kind of slow. You began to put processes in place, got burned a little bit here and there, learned, yeah. Yeah. put other systems in place, got a lot of help early, which is so smart, and then began to look for ways to be smarter with your time and your resources. And were able, because of that, I think, um, to go and grow your portfolio that much faster because of you guys went slow. Instead of, and then to build too fast, you build a really strong foundation, figured out what would work, and then we're able to go that much faster because of that. Yeah, okay. exactly, yep. And after we found our team and our contractors, and now it's kind of just like, you know, plug and play situation. And there's always stuff, there's, you know, as you get bigger and bigger, like new challenges come, but that's also the fun part for me. Like I like the problem solving. Um, I like the challenging aspect of it. I don't like when it gets easy. <laughs> I don't like when it's like, okay, let me just plug the same thing into the same process. And it's not, it's, if it's working too well, I know we're kind of like, okay, now it's time to think of like what the next challenge is. Um, because it's just, you know, I don't really feel like we're growing until you kind of, you know, you have to feel a little bit uncomfortable. And once you feel uncomfortable, it's because you took on the next challenge and that's, that's the way that you grow. Absolutely. That's how you, that's how you build muscle. 
most of those and girls like you just been like I'm gonna be nice to you. No, it goes it goes when you're putting force and you're you're pushing against it. It has no choice but to grow because you're exactly. pushing it. So I think I think we are the same way. And if we like I think somebody said if you're not pissing anybody off, you're not doing something worth mentioning. So yeah. <laughs> I think if you're not grow if you're not if you're not facing issues or situations that require you to think, um, maybe you'll just be kind of comfortable. Yeah. And I think the, the best way to succeed in real estate is really just continuously being somebody who can problem solve. Um, tons of stuff comes up in real estate that you're, you're not going to expect. You can, you know, analyze deals and, you know, think about every scenario possible and there'll still be something that you didn't think of that happens. So, you know, learning to just kind of be resilient through that process really helps you succeed too. That's so good. So people that are listening and they're like, um, I wish I could connect with her or help her. Is there something that you that you need help with that you want to connect with? Like, where are you guys going next? Um, so we would really like to get into the slightly bigger multifamily space. Okay. Um, so we would love to kind of take the next step from here um, to kind of get into bigger stuff. So, I, you know, I'd love to find like an eight, eight to 20 unit building. Um, we'd like to stay in the Indiana area. Um, we're also open to like mobile home parks, um, storage units. That's the direction that we're headed at this point. I love it. So those listening or watching, um, Indiana, eight to 20 unit, mobile homes, storage, anything that's bigger, because this girl is like, okay, I've been here, done that. Need to, need to move up in the world now. I love yep. that. We're outgrowing <laughs> our small multifamilies. So, so <laughs> or, you know, what you would consider residential multifamilies. Yeah, that is so good. So where can people connect with you? Um, so I think the best way right now to connect with me is through Instagram. Um, so our handle is at Beachwood Buys Houses. Um, and most of my contact information is, is directly through there. You can see all the properties that we've been rehabbing and, uh, you know, our contact information, our websites, you know, are all through there. So it's definitely the best way to connect. Fantastic. So make sure to put all that information in the show notes. Now, there's a question that we ask all of our guests. So, of course, I have to ask you. Um, if you knew what you know now, then when you were start, when you first got started, what would you have done differently? I think, like going back to what you said earlier, I think hire before you're ready is definitely the best way. Especially if your if your goal is to scale significantly in real estate, um, hiring before you're ready, getting rid of those tasks that are just you know mundane and not working on your business. Um, you know, you want to, you don't want to just be working in your business. You want to, you know, you are building a business. You don't want to just be working in it. You want to be working on it and thinking about the strategy and keeping it as high level as possible. Cause it's very easy to get kind of lost in the detail. Um, it's very important to like take a step back every once in a while and be like, okay, this is what we've been doing, but are we just doing it to do it? Like, what is our, is this going to like still reach our goals? Um, so that it's definitely helpful to just continuously take a step back. So if that means hiring and pushing down some of those mundane tasks that aren't helping you work on your business, that's definitely something I would love to have thought of earlier. That is so good. Work on it, not in it. That is so good. Work on that it, is, not in it. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a quotable. And also I think it might be a cop out, right? It might be something like, well, this has to get done. And now you're yeah. not growing, you're stuck, and you're like, oh, well, I'm fixing something, right? Yeah. Something that I um, I got a bill from one of my one of my VAs. He charged me like 0.20 hours for something that w- I couldn't believe it. 
that would have taken me hours to do. Like I saw the bill today and I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, it was insane. Like I couldn't believe it. I'm like, and that reminded me, it was such a great lesson. I'm like, I'm so glad I hired this guy. So every little thing I have that is related to that task, I give to him because can I do it? Yes, it's gonna take me longer. Yeah. And I had to figure it out and stuff. Now it's like, oh my God, it's, it cost me nothing. It was like a joke, right? And, yeah. and it, it gave him money, right? So yeah. um, it's such a great lesson for everyone listening. Um, figure out what you can hire out instead of trying to, to do in your business. I love it. Yeah, 100%. That's the best thing. Oh my God. The time has gone by so fast. Thank you so much. Uh, I, I could ask you hours forever. Maybe you can come back next year when... Um, you have moved up, moved up on um, units <laughs> and changed your whole process probably and tell us how you went from, you know, measly 25 units to who, who knows how many units you're going to have then. <laughs> yeah, no, it was really, really nice. Thank you so much for having me. I was really, oh I'm my really God. My, Yeah, my pleasure. I, I, I want to be able to encourage as many people as possible to do, if they're passionate about it, to do it and to learn from people that are certainly doing it. So thank you so much for being here. I'm so glad that we were able to have this time. Yes, thank you very much. You're very welcome.